Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. And today you guys are going to love our guest, the topic, and just the content today. It's relevant now, so very timely, but there's also some timeless content. And on the podcast today is my very good new friend, Dr. Glub Sapersky. Glub, it's so great to have you on the podcast, especially during this crazy time in our world. Yeah. Thank you very much, Justin. It's a crazy time and we are just having a major disruption to end all major disruptions, right? <laughs> it's just unbelievable. And it's, this is like in your space. Um, you guys, if you don't know Glob, you're going to um, really appreciate the conversation today. And, and we're recording today in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis. So we are going to talk a bit about that. Um, I'm hoping that down the road, when you, when we get listeners checking out this episode, they go, what was that? Or that was a long time ago. But um, for right now, <laughs> for right now, it's front and center. And so, um, but Glob's got an amazing background. Um, he's, he's really an expert in what he calls the disaster avoidance space. And I when I saw this, I was like, oh my gosh, like what is this? And so um we're gonna dive into that today. Glub has a PhD in history of behavioral sciences at UNC Chapel Hill. I'm a big fan of uh the Tar Heels. Um an MA from Harvard University and a BA from New York University and just unbelievable books and content. So Glub, great having you here. Thank you, Justin. It's a pleasure and I'm really glad to be on. So talk about what it means to be <laughs> Um, a disaster avoidance expert, and how does someone get into the space? Well, disaster avoidance expert has to do with helping people make better decisions. Why is that? The vast majority of our disasters come from bad decisions, either direct decisions that led to the disaster, and there's many of those, or, of course, decisions that failed to forecast the disaster that could have been seen. And we can talk about COVID-19 that definitely was predictable that it would be a pandemic. And there are very many other disasters that are predictable that people just aren't thinking about. I mean, the growing climate change issues. But, you know, you know that uh, startups fail at the rate of about half of all. New startups fail within the first five years. Two-thirds fail within the first 10 years. And 75% fail within the first 15 years. Overwhelmingly, these failures come because of bad decisions by the startup leadership. Again, either failing to forecast problems or not seeing the, or actually their decisions leading to problems. For example, the biggest reason for failure, according to a lot of research on this topic for startups, is mismatch of market to what the startup is offering. That's the first one. And second one, major cause of failure is running out of cash. Both of those are purely internal. That's about the startup leaders making really bad decisions, whether, you know, the kind of products they're offering and their strategy, that's the first one or the amount of resources they need. That's the second one. So that's just what I decided to focus on. I started looking at how we really don't have anyone teaching us to make good decisions. When I was a kid, my parents, as all parents, as all people, said, just go with your gut, follow your intuition, <laughs> trust your heart, right. and you'll be fine. <laughs> yep. I mean, I saw them not being fine and making some pretty bad decisions themselves. <laughs> but let's actually... Uh, so that's, that's helped make me realize that, hey, they are not making good decisions. I should probably not do what they're doing. But, you know, nobody sat me down and said, hey, kiddo, here's how you make decisions. And nobody taught me that in high school. Nobody taught me that in college. You know, that's not being taught in business school. So I decided to study this topic. And as I started studying it, I became, gained more expertise. And that's when I started 
being asked about it. So I became a coach and consultant, speaker and trainer in these issues. But I realized there's very little literature quality stuff available out there in the popular literature. So I had to go to academia. So I became a cognitive neuroscientist and behavioral economist. And I spent 15 years in academia doing research on these topics, publishing peer-reviewed papers and so on. Five, uh, seven years, actually, as a professor at Ohio State. I got my PhD at UNC Chapel Hill, then went to Ohio State, so go Bucks. And, <laughs> That's, uh, <right. laughs> That's amazing. Your background's well, incredible. Well, and, you oh, know. thank you very much. Well, hopefully, hopefully the Bucks will play again someday. Know, but, right. Yeah, not playing, not, not playing much right now. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and for those, oh, yeah. you, you might have seen Glove and Fast Company, um, Inc. Magazine, CBS News, etc. I mean, all over the place. Um, wrote a book called The Truth Seekers Handbook a couple of years ago, and then most recently, Never Go With Your Gut, which you just referenced, how pioneering leaders make the best decisions and avoid business disasters. And as I was checking this out, I mean, there's a couple of big concepts here that I don't know that we've ever unpacked on this podcast before, but let's start with what's cognitive bias and talk about this book and how that relates to Never Go With Your Gut. Well, cognitive bias relates to Never Go With Your Gut because Cognitive biases are the decision errors, the specific decision errors that entrepreneurs and business leaders of all sorts run into when they make decisions. And there's a specific pattern of them that relates to how our brain is structured, how we are wired, how our gut reactions are wired. Now, the research on this topic, cutting-edge research is just coming out in the, last couple, in the last couple of decades, has shown that we are not wired for the modern environment. We're actually wired for the savanna environment. When we were hunters and gatherers living in small tribes of 15 people to 150 people, that's what we're wired for. So, for example, when we deal with people, we are very tempted to be tribal. Tribalism is one of the strongest gut reactions. That means in the savanna environment, it was very important for us to be tribal. We had to stick to our tribe, otherwise we'd be kicked out and we'd die. So we are the descendants of those who didn't die. That means that we weren't kicked out of our tribe. So we want to look for people who look like us, who think like us, who share our values. And it's very tempting to work with these people, whether to hire them, whether to have business collaborations with them. And that's, of course, very dangerous and harmful in our modern, complex, multicultural society. You know, if you have a team full of people who are like you, that's bad. So one of my cognitive biases, one of my biggest problems, is called the optimism bias. This <laughs> sounds like me. <laughs> that's me. Oh, yes. This is something that actually many entrepreneurs share. Because in order to, so I'm an entrepreneur, I run a six-people company called Disaster Avoidance Experts, training, consulting, coaching, these topics. And many people who are entrepreneurs, mo the vast majority of entrepreneurs are optimistic. Why is that? Well, they have to be optimistic to take the risk. You know, sure. There's, like I said, 25% of, of uh, startups survive all after 15 years. So that's not a great rate. That's one. <laughs> Second of all, being optimistic helps you motivate people. It helps of course. you be a good leader to motivate people. So that's very important to have that confidence. But while it's, it's good in those two ways, it's bad in causing me to be very risk blind. I look for opportunities, I miss threats, I miss risks, I miss problems. I have too high expectations for other people and for myself. And that causes me, you know, I think the grass is green on the other side of the hill and it's actually often yellow. So that's not great. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like maybe me as well. Um, that's, well, there I, you go. You know, so the I, problem is, go ahead, yeah. Go ahead. No, please. So the problem is uh, that 
when I want to hire people, when I want to work with people, it's very tempting for me to work with other optimists. I click with them. Right. It's great. You know, we all have 20 ideas before breakfast and we think <laughs> yes. they're brilliant, right? Yes. <laughs> it's it's sounding very familiar. But if I have, <laughs> yep. If I have a team full of other optimists, which is very tempting for me to, I like them, I click with them. Then we all have to, you know, if I have six people who are optimists, then we have 120 ideas before breakfast and we reinforce each other's ideas. We think they're all brilliant. And then we have we are running around in 120 different directions, and that's one of the ways that, that startups run out of cash and miss the miss the uh, targeting of the market because they think their ideas are brilliant, but the market does. So that's not great. That's why I know. That's why I know that in order to make the right decisions, I need to hire pessimists. Hire some pessimists on my team. So I give them 28 brilliant ideas, and they say, "Well, you know." These are all half-baked potatoes, but maybe these three are worth finishing baking. So they take a look at these ideas, and they fix the flaws, and then they implement them well. So pessimists are really terrible at generating ideas because they see the exaggerated flaws of each idea. But they're really good at evaluating ideas, fixing flaws, and implementing them. That's their strength. So I needed to work with uh, entrepreneurs need to make sure to always have some pessimists on their team in order to have that good balance. And that's just two out of over 100 cognitive biases that we have to deal with in order to make the right decisions. And there's a lot of cognitive biases that have to do with us responding to threats like COVID-19 that we are not wired for. And I can talk about that separately. Sure. But I'm going to shut up now. No, that's great. <laughs> I love questions. it. I no doubt we would have lots to talk about. Before we get to COVID-19, uh, I want to stick with your Never Go With Your Gut book for just a moment. So you talk mm-hmm. about three top dangerous judgment errors and those being the overconfidence effect, planning fallacy, mm-hmm. and confirmation bias. Talk about those at least yeah. at a high level so that our audience understands mm-hmm. like how those can be almost blind spots as a leader. They very much are. Overconfidence is a very problematic blind spot. It causes us to, be, to make quick, very quick judgments, way too quick judgments. That's very tempting to, in, as a startup entrepreneur or any business leader, whether you run a startup or whether you run an established company, to make quick decisions because you're in the middle of having a lot of patents, having a lot of decisions, and you want to just go make the decision, go to the next step. Unfortunately, very often, it's much better to slow down and calm down and take the time to make a wise decision. There's a certain areas of decision-making where we aren't nearly as good as we think we are. There's a lot of research showing that. So, for example, when people are asked whether they're, when they're 100% confident about something, the research on this topic shows that they're actually right 80% of the time. So that means 20% of the time they're wrong. And that's 100% confidence is something that you'd bet the company on, you'd bet the career on. So you're going to lose the company, you're going to lose the career of 20% of the time. Again, this is one of the reasons why startups really often fail because they make these big risks when they're too confident about the decision. And that combines very problematically with optimism bias. So you're both too optimistic and too confident. Not good. <laughs> so that's the planning fallacy. That's the optimism bias. Now the planning fallacy has to do with our plans. We very tend to be very confident about ourselves and our plans. We like ourselves. You know, why not be confident, right? Well, unfortunately, <laughs> our plans often don't survive contact with the enemy. And so when we make a plan, assuming it will go right, which is the vast majority of strategic plans, when you look at them, when I look at my clients' original strategic plans. They just assume that this plan will go according to plan. They don't build in contingencies. They don't build in resources for risks, for problems. Again, having to do a lot with optimism. 
That's planning fallacy. It's a big one. It caused a lot of problems. Finally, confirmation bias. Now, confirmation bias is a very, very tricky. It causes us to look for information that confirms our beliefs and ignore information that doesn't. Uh, There's a really interesting study it. done by Leadership IQ of 1,087 board members that fired their CEOs of 286 companies and other organizations, fired their CEOs. And one of the top five reasons for firing the CEOs, 23% of the CEOs were fired for denialism. Meaning denying negative information about the denialism, denying negative information about the company. So confirmation bias, where if you have positive opinions about yourself, if you're optimistic about yourself, you think the company should be doing well. And you completely ignore information the company isn't doing well. And this happens (laughs) with the big boys all the time. I mean, look at what happened with Boeing. Oh my gosh, unbelievable. That was terrible, right? And the leadership of the Boeing had a lot of information that there were very serious problems with the 737 MAX before they launched it. Which we hear about afterwards. People in the company. Exactly. The the release of the emails that, you know, when internal emails were saying, you know, this is a plane designed by monkeys supervised by clowns. (laughs) 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 And by the way, that's a quote. By the way, that wasn't just made up. (laughs) That's that's an exact quote. That's what the email said. And this, it does not inspire confidence, right? But the leadership of uh, Boeing ignored that information. They be- they felt they felt with their gut reactions felt that the plane should be safe because Boeing is has a culture of safety and it's always been you know the new planes have always been safer than old models. Therefore, there's no way that this new model of the plane will be less safe than previous models. So they ignored the actual information in order to go forward. And this is one of the reasons why Dennis Muhlenberger, who was the Boeing CEO, was fired. So he's one of the examples of the leaders, top leaders who are fired because of denying negative information. Wow. Well, jeez. I mean, this would go for hours, um, which I love. Um, and I knew that before I called you. So never go through your gut how pioneering leaders make the best decisions and avoid decision disasters or business disaster excuse me um you talk about mental habits to defeat these errors you talk about um a a decision making model an eight-step model which is awesome um but before we dive off of jump off of the book and into covid uh you talk about five questions to avoid decision disasters help us with some of those so that our listeners have a takeaway from um from some of your ideas here this, these are very quick questions that you should ask about any decision where you don't want to screw up. So any daily decision, any decision, this, this is not about making the perfect decision, the best decision possible. That's the eight-step model. So that's a separate model. It takes about an hour to go through thoroughly. These are questions, five questions, take about a couple of minutes to go through and help you on any daily level. So this is something you want to ask every day, basically. First, what important information didn't I yet fully consider? So the confirmation bias and other related biases cause us to look for information that confirms our beliefs. Cherry pick evidence. What you want to look for with that question is specifically information that goes against your beliefs. Try to prove that you're wrong. If you can't prove you're wrong, that's great. Then you're more likely to be right. And if you can't prove you're wrong, that's also great because then you won't make a decision that will cost you many thousands of dollars and many thousands of hours to fix. Second, what dangerous judgment errors didn't I yet address? So if you're dealing with people, think about tribalism judgment errors. If you're dealing with plans, think about the planning fallacy. You want to learn about these dangerous judgment errors. In my book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters, talks about the 30 most dangerous ones in business settings and how you can address them. Third, 
What would a trusted and objective advisor suggest I do? So think about that angel on your shoulder. Think about what you would tell a trusted friend to do in this situation. You get about half of the benefit of this question just by asking it and taking yourself outside of yourself. Now, you also get the other 50% of the benefit by actually talking to this trusted and objective advisor. Call this person, or if you're a millennial, text this person. Don't meet this person. You might get them sick. <laughs> Next. How have I addressed all the ways this could fail? So think about whatever you're doing, whatever your plan you're launching. How can you, how can it fail? So let's say you're writing an important email to a client. Maybe the client is in a bad mood because they're stuck at home and their kids are uh, crawling all over them, right? So think about how you would write an email to someone who is in a bad mood and who is distracted. Read the email as though you're in a bad mood and you're distracted and revise it in such a way as to remove any possibility of it being interpreted in a negative or hostile way and draw the attention of the person who's reading it to the most important parts of the email. And finally, what new information would cause me to revisit this decision? What would cause you to change your mind about the situation? Let's say, sticking with the email, you can set a decision-making point where if your client doesn't respond in a week, you will call the client. That's a specific clear decision-making point. If you don't hear, if you're not here, if you don't make a decision-making point, and you're just waiting for the client to respond to the email or kind of gnawing on your fingernails, you know, worried about what will happen. But now, otherwise, you just let it go and go forward and do your other things. So asking these five questions about any decision will help you minimize decision disasters, maximize the, the likelihood that you don't have any problems. That's awesome. I appreciate you going through that. And Dude, you've got some great reviews on the book on Amazon, by the way. Um, <laughs> yes, it's awesome. So uh, we're in the middle of uh, an interesting time for all of us. And uh, again, you know, this is very timely. So yeah, when this comes out in the next couple months, we'll, it will re- be relevant. And, and down the road, I think it'll still be relevant for us to learn from this. But given what's happened the last couple of weeks, uh, and when I think about <laughs> disaster avoidance, um, I think some leaders and companies are learning the hard way um, you know how to how to work through something that no one has ever dealt with before. You've been asked to write another book on it, um, and I, I'm going to have you back on to talk about that down the road. But talk about just the current situation and what your observations have been based on your experience. So yeah, so I've called. Unfortunately, I called the situation way before it, it occurred that things would get much worse than our leaders are saying that they will. Uh, partially because of a number of cognitive biases, one of the biggest ones is called the normalcy bias. Now. Our brain tends to assume that the immediate future and the medium future term future will look like the past. So it doesn't assume that we'll have major short-term disruptions. It's just not the way we work. In the Savannah environment, we had no major short-term disruptions. So this was a pretty safe bet for our gut reaction. In our modern environment, COVID-19 was clearly going to be a major disruptor because the Wuhan, the city where it originated and where it spread, is a major metropolitan city. 10 million people, huge industrial city, 500 international flights a day. It's wow. major, it's big. I don't and think most people, people know that, in- by the way. I'm not sure people realize well, Wuhan is a big city, but go ahead, yeah. Yeah, it's a huge city. So looking at that, you know, when stuff was happening in December and uh, January, I said, well, if it can happen there, it can happen anywhere. And of course, it's going to be spread by these international travelers. But I saw that leadership of companies, political leaders just ignoring it, ignoring the situation, even when Italy was becoming bad, it was being ignored. People said, you know, things like, oh, it's like the common cold, it's not a big deal. And they didn't realize, companies didn't realize that their emergency plans 
were completely unprepared for something like this. Now, their emergency plans are made for something like Houston being flooded. It's pretty terrible. It's pretty bad. You know, a week, two weeks. They're not prepared for Houston being flooded and staying flooded and then surviving in the flooded environment. And how would you work if you, if you had your, if you lived in Houston and it kept being flooded? That, that was the situation in which you were in. Companies aren't prepared for that. Overwhelmingly, they're not prepared for that. So right now, most business leaders, when they responded to it immediately, they functioned in emergency mode and they kept functioning in emergency mode. And they can't. This is not emergency mode. This is new normal. They have to accept that this is the new normal. COVID-19 will be around, uh, popping up, becoming worse, becoming better, becoming worse again, until we have a vaccine. And we won't have a vaccine for the next 18 months, or 12 to 18 months, you know, optimistically speaking, that's the first possible period. And of course, it can take much longer than that, three to five years. Now, if it's in 12 to 18 months, then it will take another 12 to 18 months to produce enough of it to vaccinate people and distribute it and then vaccinate people actually. So it'll take, it'll be two to three years until we're actually done in the most optimistic scenario with COVID-19. So this is not an emergency situation. This is the new normal. And we are not adapted for it. We're not planning for it. Companies are overwhelmingly not changing their business models. They're overwhelmingly thinking, okay, you know, in a month I'll go back to normal and I can go back to doing my regular thing. That's not the case. You need to seriously, very seriously look at your business model, see how to change it to adapt, to survive for the next two to three years, at least in the state. And of course, if you're smart, you're going to make sure that you can not simply survive, but thrive. Make sure to change your business model to virtual delivery or whatever you're doing. Make sure to change your team to virtual team for whatever you're doing. And then capture market space from your competitors who are just in emergency mode and who are trying to survive because that's not a very smart <laughs> thing to do for them. But many people will be in that mode because they don't realize that they're falling into these cognitive biases, which cause them to make bad decisions. <laughs> and we're still on the early side of that. Have you seen any leaders step up and early in this experience demonstrate some of those good behaviors versus the biases behaviors. You know what I'm saying? Like, have you seen yeah, anyone uh, I did. thus far uh, that truly? I did. I, I saw the Twitter Jack Dorsey did a very good job of, of being one of the early leaders who said, hey, let's change to working at home and focus our efforts to working at home much before the rest of the political leadership, business leadership did the same thing. So he was at the forefront of this and I admire him for it. I think he did a really good job. Well, um, that's, that's fascinating. And then, um, I just I think it's gonna be interesting to see you know who's able to shift their thinking, and I think part of the challenge of what you talk about is getting over some of those natural cognitive biases, right? I mean, it's hard to get your get out of your own way and 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 think differently and act differently. It is, and that normalcy bias is very, very, very bad because we we can imagine a long term shift in the future. You know, maybe it'll take a couple of years, three years, five years. It's pretty impossible for us to imagine a long-term shift happening immediately right now and in a way that really will change our world fundamentally going forward for a long time. But this, was, this is what it is. Our world is fundamentally changed. And I'm saying this, and right now a bunch of listeners will not believe it, but that's just what it is. Our world is fundamentally different in a very, very short time period, just a couple of weeks. It's, it's, you know, it's hard to imagine, but this is the reality. Our gut tells us this is not true but our gut is not to be trusted in this. 
it's not something that we're evolved for. This is why we have to use our brain logic about this, not use our gut, <laughs> right. not feel about it. Right. Hey, we're just going back to the office in two weeks. I mean, it'll be fine. A baseball game next month. I mean, like, I, <laughs> I you know, it's, how do you walk into a, a 42,000 seat baseball stadium next to random people in, in a couple of weeks? I don't, I don't know how that happens. I don't, how do you go to a concert in a month or two and not be, you know what I mean? Like, you, you start thinking about some of those things. It's a well, interesting your concert arenas right now. Your concert arenas are right now going to be makeshift hospitals right. full of people who are dying that. from COVID-19. Already seen yep. that. Yep. <sighs> anyway, wow. Um, well, it has been great having you on the podcast. Share with our listeners where they can find you, how they can connect with you. I'm I'm just going to go ahead and call it right now. This is part one. I'm going to have you back on um, in a couple of months, and we're going to revisit some of these and also talk about your other new book that's coming. But uh, share with our listeners where they can find you. I'll be happy to come on the part two. But in the meantime, you can check out my book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters in physical bookstores everywhere if they're open around you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I downloaded mine on iTunes. I downloaded mine off iTunes, so there it's perfect. <laughs> there you go. It's available on Audible and iTunes. Uh, so the audiobook version, it's available, of course, online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere published by great traditional publisher called Career Press. So it's physical bookstores, audio, physical books, audiobooks, digital books or available wherever books are sold, you can check out my resources on disasteravoidanceexperts.com. Again, disasteravoidanceexperts.com. There's blogs, videos, podcasts, decision aids, guides, manuals, virtual classes, coaching, consulting, training, also virtual right now. Not going yeah, out. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> totally get it. You especially want to check out an eight-video-based module course, free course, on making the wisest decisions. That's going to be at disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. Again, eight video-based module course, three course on making the wisest decisions. Disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. And finally, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if you have any questions about anything I've shared, whether COVID-19, entrepreneurial decision-making, anything, just connect with me there, ask your questions, happy to chat. Dr. Gleb Sipursky on LinkedIn, G-L-E-D-T-S-I-P-U-R-S-K-Y. <laughs> I think you covered it. And by the way, that's how we initially connected. So you guys, uh, I can validate that. Um, hey, Dr. Glub Sapersky, thank you so much for coming on today. Can't wait to have you back on. Well, thank you so much, Justin. It's been a pleasure. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.